Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. And so now that God had just given Samuel on-the-job training, here, let's do it different than this. Let me help you up here. He did tell Samuel, I'll show you what to do, didn't he? Okay, well, here he's doing it. <laughs> Don't look like this. Here's how I see things. So he's telling him what to do. Now Samuel is better educated on what to look for. He didn't know what he was looking for. Now he kind of does because the Lord helped him. Now he's got eyes. First Samuel 16 and 8. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. See how Samuel suddenly has a gift he didn't have. You see that? Bam, it's on. Awesome, okay? Verse 9, then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Okay, Suddenly, Samuel has this discernment switched on. (laughs) The guy has been a priest his whole life for decades, and he just now got a gift he didn't have. Christian, don't think you've ever plateaued. Oh, I'm there. I've got it all now. No, you don't. (laughs) As long as you're still ticking, the Lord is still going to be able to, he's still going to enable you to do new things all the time. Never get content with saying, this is how it is. I'm cruising now. There's always going to be more. Be receptive to that. Be receptive to that. So he was operating suddenly with discernment, a type he didn't have before. You know, and what this shows us, his scriptural proof here, that God will not send you out to perform a task without empowering you to do it. When he called me to be a pastor, well, God, I can't can't preach. I've been through Bible college, but I've never been through a course that teaches me how to preach. The Lord says, we'll deal with that when we get there. He will empower you. When he tells you to do something, don't be afraid. If God sends you, he will equip you. He will equip you. 1 Samuel 16 and 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? That's what I'd be asking. It's like, is this it? Is God told me to come get one of your guys. There's got to be something else here. Some, I'm missing something. Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. <laughs> Get him over here, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Now, the first question you got to ask here is the fact that David was not even asked to attend the lineup, was he? Wasn't even invited. Why? In those days, a shepherd was considered second class. Low. He was considered unworthy, and actually not trustworthy either, but he was considered unworthy. And I think That's exactly why God chose him. He had that low position, that lowly stature, just like Jesus did. But, you know, why were they considered untrustworthy? 
You know, there was even a time in Israel when the rabbis banned the pasturing of sheep and goats in Israel. They said, no, not having it here. Why is that? Well, when the Israelites were wandering around in the desert, homeless, they had nowhere to go. Shepherding was how they kept up with their animals. That's what they did when they were lost. They were shepherding. And so once they made it to the promised land, they started to think of shepherding as someone's desire to stay lost. Someone's desire to stay that like, this is not home. I'm going to keep that nomadic attitude by continuing to be a shepherd. And the rabbis took it as, well, then you're not acting like one of us. No shepherding here. And that's kind of the way they reason why they looked at it. It's like they were resisting settling in the land. And this is part of the reason why they didn't even ask David to come. The shepherds were somewhat represented as homeless, and they were resented for it. Do y'all remember what Jesus said? He said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he also said, I'm the good shepherd. Okay, you see a lot of similarities here. Compare this rejected, uninvited shepherd boy with Saul in 1 Samuel 9 and 1, which says that Saul was a mighty man of power. Complete opposite. Complete opposite. Saul had all the proper outward qualities that everybody wanted. But now here's this lowly shepherd boy. No power, no title, no stature, and he was not even invited to attend. Unworthy. Because people would question, how can this wanderer rule the nation? How can this homeless guy who seems to have no home rule over us who call it home? But now, see, remember, Samuel is not looking outwardly anymore. The cultural bias that was against David wasn't registering with Samuel anymore. And quite frankly, we need to learn to see the same way. Culturally, there are people out there that Christians don't want to associate with. Oh, you're one of those. Okay. And, and you know, because the world plays it on us. They, they tell us we don't like you because you're a Christian, but Christians do it back. Christian, you're not supposed to look outwardly. You're supposed to look in. Well, what do you mean by that, Ray? Every person walking this earth, even the stereotype person that you don't want to be around, you need to realize Jesus died for that person to be saved. I have sat down and had lunch with people who in our culture are labeled as that or this. And if people saw me having lunch with them, they would go, Ray, what are you doing? I'm looking at the heart and I'm trying to share Jesus with them. And that's why I do it. Samuel's not looking outwardly anymore. So he sent for the shepherd, even though it went against popular cultural thinking. He still asked him to come anyway. You can imagine the culture said, you did what? The high priest sent for who? A shepherd? Let's watch how it plays out. 1 Samuel 16 and 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now, David's anointing, it was accompanied with the Holy Spirit. It was accompanied by the Holy Spirit of God. You know, that would have ended a lot of the cultural arguments against David being anointed, as well as any of his brothers that may have been jealous about it. Why ain't he anointing me? 
You did see it said he anointed him right in front, right around his brothers. I can imagine some of the brothers go, oh my gosh, how did he get that? But when the Holy Spirit hit, they're like, whoa, that explains it right there. <laughs> Took care of all the argument that there would have been. 1 Samuel 16, 14, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Guys, there can only be one king. There can only be one king. The old king exits, the new king enters. So when David got switched on, Saul got switched off. One king exits, the new king enters. One king. Now the same spirit that had invested in David had departed from Saul. Now while we're on this, this in no way means at all, since the spirit departed from Saul, this does not mean that salvation can be lost. That's what people take mistakenly take this as being. Oh, look, the Spirit of God left him. That means you lose salvation. That's not what this is, okay? Let me explain real quick. Ephesians 1 says that when you believe in Jesus for salvation, you get the indwelling Spirit of God, the indwelling Spirit of God. I want you to look at verse 13. It says the Spirit of, God, of the Lord came upon David came upon. Didn't say it indwelled him. There's different things that the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God does. There's the indwelling of, and there's also the coming upon of. And it says it came upon David. Okay. Now we've seen God operate like this many times before. The Spirit of God came upon Samson when he gained strength. The Spirit of God also came upon Jephthah, Gideon, and Joshua whenever it was time to fight for Israel. So what is the coming upon of the Spirit? The coming upon of the Spirit was to enable people to do mighty works in the Lord. The Spirit of God never indwelled anyone in the Old Testament. John 7 and 39, the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Holy Spirit didn't come until after Jesus was taken up back to heaven for indwelling. But the coming upon happened many times. It is a different thing. So I don't want you to believe that the Spirit's departure from Saul equates to being an abandonment of salvation. When God gives someone salvation, it is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1 says so. But what happened here in 1 Samuel 16 is that Saul lost the empowerment to rule Israel right when David was given the empowerment, right when David got the coming upon of God's Spirit, Saul lost it. Don't use passages like this to try to say you can lose salvation if you're bad enough. If you can't be good enough to earn salvation, you can't be bad enough to lose it. If you have truly gotten the indwelling Holy Spirit, you will change and you won't desire to sin like you did. Sin will start to be a thing that hurts you after that. It's very different. Indwelling, coming upon. We need to know that, okay? So one king exits and another king enters. But also look, on top of Saul having the Spirit of God taken away, he got another spirit, didn't he? A distressing spirit. He was given a wicked, evil, distressing spirit from who? Satan? Who does it say gave it to him? From the Lord. The Lord God did that. Most people's knee-jerk reaction is, well, that's not fair. 
That's not right. God, why would God give somebody a distressing spirit? People like this, they feel that God is trying to set Saul up for failure now that David has been anointed. The truth is that God judges wickedness. That's what he does. And this distressing spirit was sent to trouble Saul as judgment for all the wicked things that Saul had done in the past chapters. Don't look at God and say, God, you can't do that. We, the created, cannot tell the creator, God, you can't do that, or that's not fair. We can't say that. So if we can't say that, then why did God do it? Because Saul had been doing wicked things, and now as a judgment, he has this spirit, this distressing spirit. We have to realize from this, God has total authority over the entire spirit realm, all of it. That's the good, the angels, and also the demons. God has authority over all of them. And he also has the sovereign right to use all of them to accomplish his purposes, whatever he wants to do. And we're going to watch how this evil spirit plays in towards serving God's purpose for David. Now, 1 Samuel 16 and 15, and Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing. Oh, look at that. He's just going to happen to go right after David. You think God's in this? Oh, yeah. And he's specifying him right down to a T, okay? A man of valor, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son, David, to Saul. So David came to see Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand, then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Man, that is some tripping stuff. But it's, it's real, okay? God has authority over distressing spirits. But this is how the Lord used even a demon to accomplish his purpose. It brought Saul and David together, which is the launch pad from how David will rise to the throne as king. You see how the Lord's working this all together. Now, if you remember, Saul was told by Samuel that someone else better than him would be king. And Saul had no idea Saul here in this chapter has no idea at all that this next king is already standing right in front of him. It's the guy playing the harp. (laughs) God, you know, the way you put things around us, it's, it's awesome. And David was brought to him because Saul needed him. Never tell God who I don't need and who I don't need you. You might. You might need somebody at some time. Saul needed the power of God, that power that rested upon David, to drive that evil spirit away. 
It wasn't just the playing of the harp. It was the power of God that drove the spirit away, the authority of God that David had upon him. Guys, you can't just, you cannot read this without knowing that God is in complete, total control of absolutely everything. It's very assuring. And if the Bible doesn't excite you, you're not reading it. It's there. But in closing now, we saw today that the Lord had already chosen David for royalty long before David ever was. If you are in Jesus Christ, did you know that the Lord God called you to royalty long before you ever were? Ephesians 1 and 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of of the world. You walk around the the museum and you see the dinosaur bones that they claim are 20,100 billion gigawatt years old or something, you know, and you're thinking, man, that's old. Did you know that God was thinking about you before that bone showed up? They can dig wells with, with those big old oil rigs to miles down and pull up a chunk of dirt. And you're like, man, that's been there a long time. You were thought of before that got there? You. Are you starting to catch a glimpse of how priceless you are? That you are a living being with an eternal existence set before you? But the big question is, which eternal existence will you end up being in? Now, a major theme that we can see in this chapter is that there can only be one king. Just one. When David got the spirit, Saul lost. When David got anointed, Saul was invalidated. Only one king. If you are not obeying the Lord, you are obeying a different king. Saul was disobedient, but Samuel did what the Lord said. Luke 6.46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? If you live your life according to your own terms, my life, I'll do it my way. Jesus is not your Lord. Well, how can you say that? Just because I do what I want to, when I want to, you're not obeying the Lord. You're not doing what the Lord said. Remember, Saul goes, what do I do? The Lord says, I will show you. And so Samuel did. If you're that, I'll live my life my way, it's like, no, Saul's going to kill me. I'm going to sit this one out, God. Go find somebody else. If you're not doing what the Lord says, then he's not your Lord. You cannot have two kings in your life. One can't be you and the other one, Jesus, when you feel like it. There's only one king. The question I have is, are you troubled? Are you under distress? Do you live in fear all the time? Are you under constant, constant pressure? I'm not saying, do you have trials? I'm not saying that because we all do. I'm saying, does the very core essence of your life, is it troubled to the very center of your of everything nothing is at peace if nothing's is at is at peace then you need someone with the power of god who can make that troubling spirit leave who was that ray that was jesus christ you need to experience the peace of jesus acts 3:19 repent that means turn around get out of there Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 
I can sleep at night on that one. (laughs) One king must exit before the new king enters. But that means I have to give up everything I want. Yeah, it does. Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If Jesus gave himself for you, why can't you give yourself for him? When it says, I have been crucified with Christ, that means all the things I wanted to be, that means all the things I want to have, I got to give it up. Well, why do I got to give everything up? Because you got to realize that what Christ can give you is better than what you could try to get for yourself. You got to make him Lord. Now, I know that some of you out there don't trust anybody else to rule your life. You've been hurt. You don't trust anybody. But guys, David was not trusted either. And that's why he was not even invited to attend the lineup. You got to learn to trust. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not with 50% of it, not with 10, not 99, all of it. That's 101%. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. He told Samuel, I'll show you what to do. Okay, Lord, let's go. And when he got there, he gave him training then and then he knew what to do. That's the way this verse works. No, 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 I got to figure it out. Then you're not bowing to the king. You're still trying to rule. Oh, that's a tough one, Ray. I know. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. And another reason you can trust him is because he came to save us, a job that we've never been able to do for ourselves. Did you notice that Saul had come to Samuel, but Samuel, the high priest, was sent to David? The high priest went to find David. Luke 19 and 10. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God had you on his mind a long time ago, before you ever were, and he came after you. You know, I had a uh, lunch with this man the other day, and he asked me, he says, man, I I, want to ask you about religion, Ray, because I hate it. I said, good, me too. And that messed him up. He goes, what do you mean by that? I, I said, I don't like religion. He goes, well, define the difference to me then. What's religion versus what you do? And I said, religion says you have to find God, but the gospel says God sent Jesus to find you. Religion says you got to work hard enough to get to God. The gospel says you can't be good enough. Jesus came to you. God sent Jesus to find us, to anoint us into royalty. But like David was treated, not invited. Guys, Jesus doesn't look very attractive to people. He just doesn't look like somebody they want to invite. He's last on the list. He doesn't look very royal. He doesn't have much appeal to people because they're judging him by his outer appearance. So Jesus just doesn't look very upscale. He doesn't look rich and flashy enough for people's desires. But friends, you've got to learn to look inward. What you got to do is you've got to look inward to the eternal promises that he offers you that go beyond this world. And just like Samuel went out prepared with oil to anoint David into royalty, the Lord Jesus is ready to anoint you into royalty with the oil of the Holy Spirit, who is your promise of eternal life. The old king has to exit before the new king must enter. I pray you make that decision today to make Jesus Lord of your life.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.